Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Two Notes Audio Engineering. Two Notes is a leader in the market for loadbox, cabinet, and mic simulators. Gone are the days of having ISO rooms or having to record an amp at ear-bleeding volumes to capture that magic tone. The Torpedo Live, Reload, and Studio allow you to crank your amp up as loud as you want, but record silently. Check out www.2-notes.com for more info. And now your host, A.L. Levy. All right, so welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am A.L. Levy. With me is one of my favorite people from this horrible, awful business. Um, I've actually known him a lot longer than I'd care to admit because it makes me feel old as hell. Um, going on over 10 years since we shared one really nasty bus experience together and got to know each other pretty well. Um, one of the best drummers in the game, one of the most talented musicians I've met in the game, um, doesn't really act like it, but he's known in production circles for being every band that he's in and no offense to anybody else but uh just one talented motherfucker so uh john berklin hello hello that was one very awesome intro i'm very uh humbled by that thank you very much hale i was just telling the truth um and i have a question about your last name before we go any further um okay you got like the worcester of last names because yeah i've known you to be in pronounced Berkland, like, but you spell it B-O-E-C-K-L-I-N. How does that work? You threw, you threw a D on the end of it. It's, uh, it's German, but it's not Berkland. Yeah, you threw a, okay. a D on there, like Berkland. Uh, it's Berkland. And yeah, it doesn't, it's not pronounced any way it's uh, spelled. Uh, it's German. And in Germany, it's like, there's no E. It's just B-O-C-K-L-I-N. In in Germany, uh, with the two dots over the O, I forget what those are called. Um, but so it's Bierflin. Um So my family came over here. I guess they were, you know, got rid of the two dots and put in the E, and then looked at. It. Well, we could walk around for the rest of our lives saying, you know, like pick with that. <laughs> all right, thank you. I've been actually wondering this forever. So, um, all right. So I want the reason that I invited you on here, other than just to like shoot the shit is because uh, this podcast is generally production-oriented, and lots of times we talk about how uh, you're going to be in the studio and pass the guitar around, hopefully, and sometimes the guy that wrote the riff or sometimes the guy that plays guitar in the band is not going to be the guy that sounds best playing the riff. And sometimes it'll be the guy in the band that you least expect. And... You're that guy in the band that the guitar gets passed to a lot. Yeah, you don't act like, you know, some big guitar guy or anything like that. Yet, it's just how things go is people pass you instruments. And I know once we were sound checking, uh, loading into a club on tour together, and I started hearing one of my songs coming through the PA. Like, someone picked up a guitar and started playing it, and it sounded better than the other guitar player in my band. And obviously it sounded better than me, because he was better than me. So I was like, who the hell is playing? And at the same time, he was thinking the same thing, because he heard the guitar 
coming through the PA and was like, God, that sounds better than ale. Who the fuck's playing? Um, and it was you. It was the drummer from some other band. So, like, how did this happen? Like, have you always, like, do you play drums first or did you take other instruments just as seriously as drums or does this all just come naturally? Like, what's the deal? Um, I started playing guitar first and I played on acoustic guitar probably maybe three, two years before I started playing drums. And I never, the only thing I ever did on guitar, I never took one lesson. I never looked to really learn songs. If I tried, I just tried by ear. And then um, I found drums and the guitar really kind of got put down for a while. And I got to college and I was in a shitty dorm room and I had guitar and that's when I started playing. I think every day I would just buy Master of Puppets, the album, and learn it and then just play to it with rhythms. And I'm pretty sure that's where any of, and any of my skills came from, like in terms of uh, but all on acoustic guitar, and then when I transferred it to electric, I was like, oh, I sound pretty great. <laughs> That's it, pretty much. Is that where the strength comes from? Because you've got a lot more strength in your hands than a lot of guitar players do, which I think is where you get a lot of your insane tone from. Is um, I noticed that you pick a lot harder than a lot of guitar players, and you've got a lot stronger grip, which is interesting because... You're not one of these guys that pulls everything out of tune, but uh, it kind of makes sense to hear that you played on acoustic. And um, when I was trying to get really good at guitar, sometimes I would warm up on acoustic and then start practicing on electric. You know, it's the same thing as when you see a baseball player uh, warming up with like three bats <laughs> instead of one yeah, sort of thing. I, I just like couldn't really... Warming up, sure, yeah, um, but what the way I learned guitar has its limits, where because of the technique I learned, and I didn't care to be a guitar player, so I never learned solos and stuff, but the way my technique is and how I learned is so rough and, and physical that, yeah, like when I try and play leads and stuff, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I just, I, I can't even begin to grasp it. So it's limited, but worked very well for what I wanted to do, if that makes sense, you know? Um, but it's not something I'd be like, you want to be the best, do what I did. Cause <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's just kind of, it's all rhythm playing and it works for me, you know? Um, but I do realize like also some people just don't have the ability. And I, I've been going a lot through this with drumming is just, just realizing when you're doing something and it's not very good. Some people are just like, yeah, sounds great. I'm doing it right. You know? And, <laughs> and they just don't really, they don't have the ability to look at what they're doing and go, mm, that's not great. I should change my technique or work on changing my technique to get it to where it needs to be. You know, I don't know. And I think that's kind of where I, how I became, I've never called myself a guitar player, but if I was to, that's the, those are using the, the acoustic playing the tempo style metal that I do in this, you know, it's not like, um, there's not many like dream theater moments or so. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's pretty, yeah, that it. I understand what you're saying. It's maybe not the most technical stuff on earth, but um, to sound awesome playing anything takes skill. It, like you can play anything mediocre, but to sound authentic and to have like a the right tone in your hands, that in and of itself is a skill. It is interesting what you're talking about too about bending out of tune. I know a lot of dudes that do that, and I don't know why I don't do that because I do have a really hard grip and stuff. But I guess I'm just go back to what I'm saying. I'm conscious of working on that, you know. And I did. Now I don't have that problem, you know. Well, you've got a really good ear, so I imagine that um, 
if you were to bend it out of tune, you would be able to actually hear it and then correct yourself. Yeah, I just don't have that problem like anymore like I did when I was maybe at 18 or something, you know. Yeah, if I did do it out of it, I'd be like, oh, let's do that again. Um, that's not like shit, you know. <laughs> so when you're solving problems in your technique, is it really that simple? Just that sounds like shit, let's do it again? Or do you sit there and like analyze what you're doing wrong and how to get better at it? No, it, I, uh, there was only a couple things that I would try and change. Um, but I can honestly say guitar playing came much more natural to me than drumming. So it's like the for like alternating fast death metal picking the technique that my body chose to do first is completely the right way to do it and it's easy as fuck for me you know or the only thing that i struggle with that i can't quite get is really really fast down picking like i i'm not i just like i still work on my technique with that and but i don't really care that much so i don't like sit there and have i don't wake up in the morning just like can't do puppets today like oh boy like <laughs> you know it's just like once in a while like yeah i never really got that because it would be nice to be able to do down picking at like 210 kind of effortlessly, you know, the way I can do alternate picking, you know, death metal strumming. And so it's just effortless to me. It's that's the way it's, you know, if it's hard to do it, that means you're doing it wrong. So I kind of have always been taught. So, no, I'm not the best at like when I say I can like analyze my playing and fix it. There are some things I still struggle with, but at least I know it's bad. I can't say anyone dudes don't know it's bad, you know? Well, I mean, I know you keep saying that you're not the best guitar player and like I get that like it's a whole other kind of world to be like a Jeff Loomis or Emil Wurstler or something. Yeah. That's like a whole that's a whole other kind of thing. But I'm just not sure the listeners, I don't know your like demographic or how in depth you know, so I, I always watch my words very quickly before I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like real fucking good. Like, you know, it's like because. Well, the thing is that we talk all the time about the difference between a really good musician that's good at showing off versus a musician that's really, really good at sounding good on songs. And that when you're producing, you want to find the guy that's good at the songs and that that's a whole different kind of skill set. And that, again, it's not necessarily going to be the guy that practices guitar the most. It's not necessarily going to be the guitarist. You know, sometimes it ends up being the bassist. Sometimes it's the drummer. Sometimes it's the singer. Sometimes it is the guitarist. But it's what you're looking for as a producer is the guy that sounds the most authentic with the songs. And so I just think it's interesting that this has been happening to you for over 10 years now. Like... I actually think I met you um, at Sonic Ranch in 2006 or something. Yeah, yeah. Or five. I remember that. You guys came through and we were, I think yeah. I had just tracked Clouds Over California and, and then I walked out the door and you're like, what's up? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I said. Uh, <laughs> uh, I seem to remember from back then, too, you were already kind of like being dominant with your guitar playing. So I just want to kind of get inside your head because I think that it's it's a style of musician that doesn't get praise very often, but it's the exact guy you're trying to identify as a producer. Okay. Because, um, you know, sometimes these guys that, like, practice all day and try to be really good and you hear them play songs, it sounds okay, but it doesn't always have that the crushing, like, tone or, like, the emotional connection or whatever it is so like me not being a producer i don't get to come across 
uh, train wrecks and I, like, you know, just things that aren't quite there as much as you do. So, um, it's hard to be like, Oh yeah, I totally know what you're talking about, but you know, Okay, well, how about this? Without sounding like a dick or without saying anything mean, because that's totally not where I want to go. Yeah. Is there ever situations where it was like, you play the riff, no, you play the riff, and then somehow it's like, uh, we're just going to give it to John? Yeah, that happened. I mean, but the point of saying that is because you asked, not because of like, listen, I'm here to, to make sure that everyone knows that like when the guitar was passed around, sometimes I, it ended up me a lot, you know, like, yeah, it's not, it's not the point, but I would, I would say most of it, most of it was because I wrote it, you know? So it would just be like, well, in devil driver, which was the main, most of my guitar experience in the studio was if you wrote it, you play it, you know? And then as things kept going on and on, I just wrote more and more. So it was like kind of just natural like that. You know what I mean? But I did discover in 2005 doing the second record when Colin Richardson was like, well, let's try him. And then I, I watched everyone get excited. And that was like really kind of like, wow, like they actually think I'm good at doing this rhythm stuff, you know. So and then I kind of took pride in it, you know, and had fun doing it. And uh, that's that's where it started, I guess. You know, it was fun to watch a renowned dude like Colin Richardson be like, yeah, that's your right hand is like really, really fucking awesome. And I was like, wow, that's cool, you know. And was it something where ever in the past, did it ever cause tension or is it something where everyone was just like, man, he sounds awesome. You do it. <laughs> uh, I'd say it was both. I think. And I guess, and I'm wondering being on the side uh, on the musician's side, if you have any tips for producers on how they could best approach this in a diplomatic way. Yeah. That all depends on the dynamic of the band. Um, I think uh, I'm trying to think. Like it's a very good question. Um, there's always going to be a little bit of tension when someone starts doing a lot of the work that that's not their instrument. You know, um, some some dudes took it lighter than others or whatever. But I, it was never like a boiling point or anything. Um, and for some reason, I actually think it caused more tension between the other guitar players than me with both of them, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, do you know? Interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like, it kind of like fucking, I, I don't really know how to put it. But, you know, this, you're talking about the really, like, there was some issues with it long time ago. And then as we just grew up and it was kind of like, well, I wrote it or if someone sounded the best doing something, do it. And then it became accepted that. And like, we grew out of that little baby phase. Well, well, wait a minute now I'm the guitar player, so I should be doing it. Or, you know, it's like, I think within a week or two that kind of brushed over, you know what I mean? Well, normally in my experience, veteran bands don't have those issues anymore. Yeah. Like, and by veteran, I mean, past their first album. Um, yeah. So not even really veteran, basically non baby bands don't have those issues anymore. But a lot of our listeners, I mean, some of them work huge records, but a whole lot of them are still like at the point of just now starting to make a living at production or, you know, going to be making a living within the next year or still working with, smaller bands and smaller bands is where you see lots of these issues take place um because i think that with veteran bands once they've already gone through and seen the benefit of letting the guy that sounds best play the parts you know because it sounds better and you do better a better sounding record 
um, is just a better record generally. Not always, but generally. Um, you know, they just get it. They get in line. Um, they're just generally happier to just make a record happen well. But I think when they're younger, they've still got shit to prove. Yeah, like who wants to sit there and struggle in the studio is like my first advice like to give. Like if you're struggling and someone else can do it, hand it over. You're paying for this time. You're paying and you're, you're causing frustration. I remember when I couldn't do parts, certain technique parts, I would call the other guys and say, hey, do this now. Like I, I don't even think twice about it. It's just like the recording process just make it go as smooth as possible. So handing over something is get rid of your ego and just get it done, you know? That's how I kind of always viewed it. But as a producer, to give a producer advice of how to approach it, you got to look at the age you're dealing with, like, you know, the maturity level, uh, you know. But in general, you should be like, I'm the fucking producer. Not using the word fuck, but like, this guy sounds the best. You, no one can come up with a different scenario of why we shouldn't use him then. And the band should learn on their own how to fight about it, you know? So the time to fight about it is not in front of the producer, basically. Like, <laughs> Absolutely not. Like Because A, the guy who's not the best is going to look the dumbest. The guy sticking up for himself, like, you know, who sucks? Like, like <laughs> you know, it's like you don't want to be that guy. And most people at that moment don't realize they are that guy. You know, hey, you know, so that little fist shove, you know, I'm going to give it my best and I'm trying hard. So, you know, just give me my chance again. You know, it's like everyone's rolling their eyes at you behind your back. You know, so it's like. Yeah, and you want to become professional, so it's like you should go into the studio, hopefully with able to demo some stuff before you go in and know who's the best at what, because you want to, you know, when you leave a session, you don't want a producer pulling his hairs out like, I can't stand these guys or whatever. And you want to look like you're a team that has everything figured out. And that's how I always want to present ourselves in front of producers that I was nervous to be around, you know? Yeah, interestingly enough, I'm thinking about the things you were just saying in terms of me being around Devil Driver both on tour and in the studio. Mm -hmm. And I always got that vibe that like whenever you guys had a problem, you would cut off the rest of the world and figure it out within your family unit and then present the solution to the world. And I've seen other bands that I look up to do that. Like Black Dahlia Murder would deal with problems like that too. And they're ultra professional. They would not ever air their issues in front of people that are not in the circle. Well, I'm not saying I never did that, you know, but, uh, <laughs> well, you know, nobody's perfect. No, nobody's perfect. But, uh, yeah, uh, this, that's such a whole big can of worms just about how bands operate. That's such a broad discussion. Like some people expose themselves completely like a lamb of God, they, you know, on their DVD, they show the members fighting and stuff. And that drew attention, <laughs> you know, that drew attention to them. Their honesty works for them. For me, I always thought the inner turmoil uh, was embarrassing to, you know, expose. And uh, so I just like to handle shit quietly and neatly, you know? That's how I, that's just kind of how I am as a person. Like, you know, God, when you see, you know how it is, or you see band members on tours bickering at each other at a sound check in front of like, you know, all the staff, and you're just like, oh my God, like, pull it together, boys. Like, you know, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's totally like a daddy hit mommy at the dinner table kind of thing. <laughs> Well put. I don't have the wit you have right now, but uh, yeah, this is fucking beautiful. Um, yeah, I just think that stuff is embarrassing, you know, and uh, I think it stems from Metallica and always believing that, like, you know, those guys were good at keeping their, their shit tight, you know, and like, and I always look, because you never, you never heard. Until they released that one movie. <laughs> you know what I mean, though, but I'm talking about when I was like 13. Yeah, no, or, totally. You know, it's like they were always a force and like they never 
you know, you never knew if they did. Everyone knows that Lars did drugs now, but like back in the day, everything about them was a mystery and their problems very much, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I very much admired that style of working. And I always appreciated bands from the studio end of it who would who would operate like that. It's just a lot easier to deal with. Let's talk about your drumming, because that's a whole other thing. We've been talking about guitar this whole time, but, I mean, people know you as a drummer. Yeah, but you know what sucks is, uh, I'd like to tell anyone who's listening, I, like... I'm very uninformative when it comes to guitar playing. I don't even, literally, I don't own a guitar right now. It's pretty sad. Like, And like that's like kind of my level of interest in guitar. It's like I have a little beat-up acoustic thing I need to do writing for, but I can't give any, I'm just not good at giving advice about it, but I like do have a passion for it. So I apologize if, if I didn't come across as for pro, because I'm not, you know? Okay, before we, <laughs> before we move on to drums, let me just uh, give you a quick rebuttal about what I think you explained on guitar. Yeah. So you're not like a guitar player by trade. I think you're a musician by trade. And so you work with the tools in front of you to get the job done, whether it happens to be on guitar or drums or bass or writing or whatever. You're just a musician and um, a multi-instrumentalist. And so you've never, in my opinion, you've never really cared about guitar per se, other than having it be a uh, basically a conduit for riffs, yeah, um, which are parts of songs. And um, over the years, you've gotten so good at playing your own songs that uh, you sound better at them than guys that are actual guitar players who care about guitar. And I think that the main thing that people should take away from that is that you, like you said at the very beginning. You've always had a keen awareness for when something you're doing sounds fucked up and then changing your physical approach to it, not making a big deal out of it. Just this isn't easy. It should be easy, but it's not easy or it sounds out of tune or I'm struggling or whatever. Let's change it. Yeah. Let's fix it. See, I should have just we should have had this conversation prior. So I wrote that down and just leaded the whole combo with that. That was beautiful. <laughs> Well, no, thank you. But I, I like these podcasts are all improv because it's uh, it's weird. We tried earlier on. We would try to pre-seed that kind of stuff. And then sometimes it would just come off as like robotic. Yeah. Like a news anchor kind of thing. It's it's better to get to those points naturally, in my opinion. And one, th one thing I left out, too, which is just kind of clicked, is like, yeah, when I was in the studio, sometimes I, I played my own riff better or something else better. But I also probably guarantee you I prepared harder than the other guys, uh, like in terms of get, How so? guitar. Like if I knew I was recording a song, I'd play it a lot. Like, you know, so I cared about a job that I knew I had to do a lot. And I'm not saying they didn't care, but sometimes I would probably... Even some producers have called me a bit of a, like a fucking a workhorse, you know, like sometimes I don't know when to quit or whatever. Sometimes I just keep going and I, you know, I have a little bit of obsession compulsive thing about getting things right. So I come in very prepared. So that might be another reason too. like work ethic um, is a motherfucker. It can get you just a little bit further than the guy who's a lot more talented than you, you know. I've actually known a lot of people over the years who maybe aren't the most talented guy, but who just outwork everybody and their careers are better for it. Um, and I also have known quite a few people who are just God level talented, whose careers aren't anywhere near what they should be 
because they're fucking lazy. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they have. Maybe natural talent comes with with laziness because he didn't have to try that hard to get that good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're like um, the hot girl of musicians. No one's ever told. No one's ever told them bad things. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I never had a problem working though. So even uh, if it's a real shitty job, like when even when I was like fourteen working at McDonald's, I'd take it seriously. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> well, okay. So on the topic of preparing how would you prepare like as you say you play a lot can you talk about that uh yeah i would just go play guitar in my room like okay i'd go through each song and i would you know whip out the click track uh you know but like a metronome uh i don't even have a computer and most of the times we were talking about i didn't even have a computer so i just put out a the old metronome and i would just play to it usually with acoustic guitar for a long time and just make sure that all the picking sounds right or whatever and uh just go through it when it sounds good and then normally you just strap on an electric and it sounds like better than you'd imagine it would you know yeah and you would just do that until i just do it until until the until it's ready yeah, not like i would never be like oh okay i think i've got this and i would just practice it every day until it was time to record you know okay and then i would have that break because i would do drums first and then guitar second so i don't know i never played guitar during that break and then i'd go back and i just usually hit it pretty fresh yeah perfect time to start talking about drums do you approach drums the same way you approach guitar in terms of it's just a means to an end? It's a means to play your songs? Or do you take drums? I mean, I don't want to say I don't want to say that you don't take drums seriously or music seriously because you do. But like, do you take like, do you consider yourself a drummer or is it the same sort of thing as with guitar? No, I definitely consider myself a drummer. Like if someone asked me, you know, what do you play? I'm not one of those guys like, well, you know, I'm a trumpet player, guitar <laughs> player, you know, like, you know, I just I usually say I'm a drummer. And then if they care to get into more details, oh, yeah, then I'll, I'll say, oh, I also play this. Uh, but drums are. Um, however, I am a lazy drummer when it comes to, especially in the beginning, like, um, I don't know any, I don't know much about drums. Um, I, I, I have a hard time talking shop with dudes because it's just, it was like, I was more focused on being a drummer and a songwriter because I was writing a lot of the material for the devil driver band I was in. And it was also since the age of 23 it, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and so like that was just all i cared about i wasn't like the guy the drummer who was left to his own devices to have the time to worry about just making himself a better drummer i was more focused on just writing songs um so i never got to be that nerd i didn't really have the time to do that that's a lie but i could have found the time but it just wasn't my uh, at the top of my list the top of the list was as much as i did you have, have that in the interest because lots of times the songwriter guys don't want don't care to be the nerd guy. Yeah, I didn't I but I liked to push my I loved it when you get compliments on drumming. Oh, the drums on that record are sick or whatever, you know. That felt great to me. So I also wanted to like I had a drive to keep getting more and more extreme. But I think in general with the band I was in that's just that just meant faster. I don't know. So I definitely towards the end of that band i hit a huge creative rut where when i was left to my own devices as just a drummer for a bit i went back and i took lessons and i did a lot of shit and i learned a lot more shit that i should have learned when i was 23 and i do have regret if i had known what i know now then i would have been able to make devil driver a lot more original it's still kicked ass yeah no i'm that, that's that's I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm not knocking the band but like but i mean fair enough if it's one of those things where of course if we were better 
then everything we would have done would have been better. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I feel you on that. Uh, I guess if I, if I was better looking, I'd be hotter. Um, yeah, but like, no, but also the way Devil Driver grew, there was kind of like a cuteness to it because we were learning how to get better as we went. And like some of the stuff is so like, especially on the first record and even the second, some of it is so simple and stupid that I, if I know what I know now, I could have never written that because I, w- I was like, Oh my God, it's terrible. Who the fuck would, you know, but like, there's a, there's a, uh, there's an honesty and a simplicity to it that, uh, that worked for us. So I guess, you know, I wouldn't change a thing, but damn, when I think about those songs now, I'm like, oh, I could have done this. I could have done that, you know? You wouldn't change a thing, but if you had the chance, you would change a thing. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of just like, you know, it's just going off the top of my mind right now about how I feel about that stuff. Yeah. It's great, but it's, sometimes I'm like, oh, it's terrible. Sometimes I'm like, it's awesome. Yeah. I don't know. Depending on the day. I understand the feeling. Well, I can tell you as a producer, you know, so I've never produced your drums, but I've been closely involved in the recording of your drums. And um, you're kind of like a producer's dream, drum-wise, too. Uh, you want to get things done fast. Yeah. Uh, I hate recording. <laughs> yeah. You want to get things done fast. You hit super hard. You come in super prepared. And you don't want to leave. You don't want to leave until it's done. And you take direction very, very well. But also, there's certain things that you won't do. Like, you will not play kick pads. Like, uh, at least in my experience, you won't play kick pads. And it's not an argument with you because you actually know how to play the uh, the kick drum parts. But, uh, you know, that said, uh, how do you also put in that amount, the same type of preparation that you put in on guitar? Are you sitting there on drums like the other half of the day? Yeah, I put in I put in more preparation on drums than I do guitar. So do you divide the day up or something? No, it's... Well, because you just made it sound like... It was one thing all the time. You sit there all day on acoustic guitar getting ready for a record, but you left out the fact that your main instrument is drums and you're also getting ready for drums for a record. Yeah, you just do both in the day, like however it comes to you. You know, like so I'll do, kick drum I'll do this first. Kick drum with the right foot while fretting the left hand of the guitar. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean you just go to the the room and you play drums and I get back and I know I have to do guitar, you know, and go over that. Um uh but drums take up more and they're mentally more exhausting and uh uh, yeah, and without using kick pads, I always thought like this might go back to a little bit what we're saying about like wanting to present yourself correct in front of people that you look up to or that will be talking about you. And like if you're a band going into a studio, it's like first thing you don't want to do is like, all right, just so we're clear, like let's get out the kick pads because my fucking feet suck and I don't want to make your job hell. You know, it's like it's nice to come in and be like, no, I don't want to do that because I want to have it be an original sound if we can't get one. You know, sometimes it ends up getting sampled later on, anyways. But just presenting yourself in that kind of that mode will be like, all right, if you can really do it, do it. Because I remember there's always been like, you really want to do it? You sure? It's like, yeah, I do because it's it's like. I know for a fact someone like you would be like, oh, yeah, yeah. He wasn't an editing nightmare or something. You know what I mean? Well, uh, however, if I suggest you <laughs> like, No, no, no. No, the, how, the, no, no, no. The however <laughs> is actually not about you. Uh, the however is, yes, you're correct. It, my preference will always be if the drummer is like, I don't want to use kick pads, and then they actually you know, walk the walk. That's the best of all worlds. 
but yeah. how often do they walk the walk? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a bummer. Um, more often than not, you want them to use the kick pads just because they're not as dedicated. You, like you said earlier, work ethic's a bitch. And, uh, you know, most guys don't have the work ethic, and so you want them to use the kick pads because they're not going to learn the kick parts as well as they should. And then it does become not just an editing nightmare, but a mixing nightmare because you got the kick yeah. all in the room mics and the overheads, and it's like, fuck. But also, uh, to listeners, anyone out there, using kick pads doesn't mean you can't play double bass or you can't do it the right way because there's plenty of phenomenal drummers that just know that like i know shannon uses you know pads in the in the studio i was just in a session shannon uses pads now i think he did with mark lewis was saying that he did and like i went into a session with when uh what with shannon because i'm just gonna say because okay because mark and i worked on battle cross with shannon and shannon oh no pads no pads Okay, he, maybe, maybe I'm he, remembering he what Mark he, said. He wouldn't. He wrong. wouldn't even like consider it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't know if that's changed since then. That was 2013. No, then then you're totally right because uh, maybe I was thinking of you're, maybe you're thinking else. of dude from uh, Whitechapel, Ben from Whitechapel, because Ben from Whitechapel uses pads and uh, he's phenomenal. He is fun. Okay, yeah. I guess I, I didn't know Ben. See, I thought Ben used real drums. That's funny. Uh, but yes, Ben is a phenomenal drummer. And I, and it's like, it depends on the drummer, too. It's like, like did anyone care that Obzen was programmed drums? Like, no. No. Because everyone knows he can do it. But then, like, when Fear Factory did it with that record, The Industrialist, it's like, oh, like, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, you're just doing it to save money. But, like, I, I can't, I can't. I can't get on the forums and care too much, but it's it's funny how some people think one band could do it and it's a disgrace and another one does and it's totally fine. But definitely because people know Thomas can fucking do it and there's no question there. So you, you know who good. brought the kick pads into our lives? Like the the person who like pushed for them when back in like 2009 or 10 and where I was like, I don't know. Fucking Kevin Talley. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he because you know he was starting to do his own recordings. I do. I remember him saying that yeah. all the time, like every day. Yeah, <laughs> five times a day. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the, he would. He he discovered that if he could use kick pads, it was even easier to record. And so then he tried to use kick pads on a doth record and i was the one who was not into it but then he he convinced me and i think he convinced uh, he convinced all of us and um and i mean it's not like he couldn't play it's very true yeah um i was just in on see i don't know if saying this stuff is wrong or not but i don't think anyone really fucking cares but uh, uh like i was just in Lamb of God's latest session with Josh Wilbur, and I was surprised to know that they were using uh, pads as well. Like, and they were in like they were in the B room at NRG. You know, it's like you you know you're given that kind of God. The records have been cut in that room, you know, and it's like at the end of the day, sometimes in metal, they're just like, dude, we're just not going to use the sound that we get in here <laughs> for like fast syncopated shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and. And you're causing yourself problems if uh, if there's any problem with the kick performance whatsoever or or other reasons, and you have it in the room mics and the overheads. 
you know, you're just you're causing yourself problems later. So yeah, it definitely doesn't mean you're a bad drummer at all. Um, but still, that said, you coming in, you had pride about your drums, and you wanted to play them all and get it right, but get it right quickly, and not fuck around. Yeah, because I I always had a man. Maybe you could even call it a fear, but I just never wanted to have a bad reputation as a shitty drummer. Like you know, just like just. That was always at the core of me. And, uh, you know, like when you start going and doing records with Colin Richardson, it's like you just know those people are going to, they're going to thumbs up and thumbs down you behind your back. You know, oh, how was that guy? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I just, I always wanted to give it my, my best and be as prepared as possible for that reason. Because who knows? Like, you know, then if you do well, there's been times where you get calls and get out. That's when you know it's like, oh, that's awesome. Because then, you know. Well, I mean, those types of recommendations from people like that go a really long way too. Like, um, as opposed to, I remember once Colin told me that he considered a this one drummer he recorded raw material. Like, he I, I forget what the it, the context. It was just like about how much editing they had to do. He was like, "Well, he's definitely raw material." It's like, wow. I guess that means never call this guy again okay. <laughs> yeah so you know it's like when you're in the studio uh like i said i'm not quite sure what kind of listeners are here but if it's geared towards giving people advice about recording you know it's like if you're a musician going holding your head high with the most prepared you can be because you never know where it can lead to you with a suggestion from somebody else you know and what kind of uh so you have worked with a bunch of different producers. Um, what type of approach do you think works best with you? Like, do you prefer a drill sergeant or you just want someone that's like a bro or like super intense or a little more hands off? Like what a, if you were to tell me about like your ideal production experience, uh, what, what are you looking for in a producer or an engineer? Well, first and foremost, like, you know their track record. What have they done? It's again. Do I, do I want to be working with this person in the first place? Uh, which we've had the pleasure I have of picking the producers that I that the band collectively wanted and agreed upon. So everyone, wherever we stepped into, we wanted to be with the people that were there, and then I didn't know them usually. Um, but I work perfectly with someone who I don't have much of a relationship with. And who maybe we don't have the same sense of humor or not, and because if they're just they just want to work and get it done, that's great with me. Like I, I I can work fourteen hours a day, and but it's also nice to have a friend involved. Like I know you and I have, you know, we would pass Mark Lewis's uh, stuff, and you would help edit, and uh, I don't know, we would just fucking laugh. That's all we did. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was like that on tour yeah, too. Yeah, um, and that makes things easy. Um, at the end of the day, if they're doing their job, I'm a very forgiving person. Like in terms of personalities, or if people don't do things that I don't like, I just don't really care. I'm just like, hey, fuck, sounds great. Let's just keep working. Um, like the only thing that can bug me sometimes is like if things don't things don't roll on time, you know? Because when you have 
you know, a manager breathing, like when you're approaching that last week and you're not where you're supposed to be. And if, if it's, if it's falling on one person's shoulders, particularly, um, that's never really quite happened to us. It's came a little close sometimes, but then you start feeling that pressure of, you know, uh, now you're not going to make as much money as we thought you were because this budget's going, you're taking too long, you know? So, um, just as long as no one's slacking off, which I've never come into play. Like I've never had a, like a producer who just, like drinks too much or like just wants to hang out half as much as you know like i don't know you're paying all these people a lot of money so they i've never really had to do a record with a total unprofessional person you know so i guess i'm a little i'm a little blessed in that area you know i hope that at the point that people were getting your budgets that it weeded out the the dudes who just wanted to hang out all day (laughs) i get but like you know there's there's got to be producers out there with drug problems and like oh, drink too much oh, yeah. and stuff. You know, it's like, but I, I've just fortunately I've never done a record with someone like that. You know, it's like, um, yeah. So it's just like, you know, where's fucking Bob? It's fucking seven o'clock at night. He's still not here. Like, yeah, I don't know. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely heard of, of guys like that. So I want to ask you a few questions about, life after devil driver but i don't want to i don't want to ask you things that you've been asked a million times or whatever i really haven't i haven't really done a lot of interviews so okay good Uh, yeah so well i mean first of all i just want to congratulate you on the new band bad wolves and how awesome it is um and it's like a collection of buddies of mine from different time periods in my life too playing in the band so it's kind of cool seeing all of you guys do this um and it's also cool seeing for people that don't know so it's got like doc coyle and tommy vexed in it as well who are just guys that have been in the game for a while uh i i don't know the other guys in the band but um chris, I, I'm chris sure kane awesome. is the other chris kane is the other guitar player and kyle conkeel is the bass player and I love them both, even though I don't know them. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just, you know, sometimes when you get like, quote unquote, super groups, I don't want to call it that. It's not the right word. But like when you get these bands that are like after the per- after the band that the person is known for, like, you know, you're known for Devil Driver, Doc's known for God Forbid. Sometimes when the ex dudes from certain bands get together... It kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. And well, it, let's start. It, let's start off with calling the band a supergroup. Like, right. in my opinion, a supergroup is usually combined. When I'm going to call someone a supergroup, that's combined with like platinum plus selling artists. Like, you know, like that's, that's what uh, I said. It's maybe not know, the right approach. No, it's not. As I, you know, I think a couple websites picked it up as a supergroup, and I just sit there and I just like, roll my eyes, like, you're fucking. You're you're begging the trolls to come hit this hard right now, like, um, because we don't. It's, it's not that um, uh, a super group. The word super in, in you know it, it connected with some sort of status. Well, more than anything, I just want I just want people to understand that it's like not you. It's not like John and the Berklands. It's like you and some dudes who have done stuff. I know, but usually it's doomed from the start, yes. right? Like <laughs> usually those are the worst bands. <laughs> usually it's like you go see your friend and his new band, and it's like, oh no, I need to leave because he's going to ask me what I thought. <laughs> Straight up, like I, I guess I'll segue into this. Like I thought about that all the time. Like I was like, okay, 
what's the number one thing I can't do? Like normally these guys end up just doing something that sounds derivative of what they've already done, but worse. Yeah. <laughs> so That's I was rough like, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's real rough. It's a rough room music business, especially, you know, given our ages, we're not like these 20s, you know, we weren't like, yeah, I was in Sleeping Sirens for 10 minutes, and now I'm trying this out. It's like we all had pretty long established careers and long you know, in bands for a while, so we're a bit older. Um, but I thought about it like more than your average Joe, kind of like my work ethic, but with my mind. Just like, okay, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> Your mind was working overtime on it? <laughs> yeah, just like i got to make sure that I don't like just release one of those fucking bands that's just like – uh, I, I, however, you can totally think that my new band sucks, but at least I know you're not going to be like, dude, sounds like a sh- God forbid Devil Driver put together. You know, it's like it's really got its own thing. And from, I know you've heard. I was honestly, dude, I was worried because, like, I figured at some point I'm going to have to talk to you and Doc about it and maybe Tommy. I haven't talked to him in a while, but, like, at some point it's going to come up. And like they now, these guys all got together. So it's gonna like all these guys that I think are really good, but that just means it's gonna suck. And like yeah. I'm so sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sad for my friends. But like uh, I, heard, I heard it, and it was badass. So it was like it, on my end, it was just pure relief. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, also, also like if someone's listening, it's like, well, this guy just thinks his new band's the shit. It's like, and it's, and like, I understand, like I, like, I was the first to throw myself under the bus, like the first song, Learn to Live, which people have only heard. I'm very well aware that it's like a one-two punch on modern metal. It's like got that gent vibe and stuff. But I'm also saying that the rest, there's not one song that sounds like that song on the rest of the record. So it's like, we kind of delivered kind of like the meat and potatoes for her to like, not throw people off too much, you know, but like, I think it was a good move to kind of get our original, any members fan base that what they have left of a fan base, <laughs> like you know, to, to keep them interested, you know, like, okay, it's not some shocking left or right, but there's a lot of ups and downs to this record. And, um, and going back to like thinking over time about not repeating yourself. Um, I just made sure that not only does this material not sound like, anything else we've done that the record from front to back is not it's not a hate breed through and through it's not a devil driver through and through you know it's like it's definitely you're gonna be like this is the same band like whoa so those are the two goals now whether that will work that's the yet to be told some people you know we might lose some of our fan base from doing stretching out different boundaries but gain other ones there we'll see if our formula works or not you know that's yet to be seen yeah yet to be seen but at least so far so good and the reaction i've seen has been super positive i thought that the new song was awesome and uh i won't i i won't have you on to talk about stuff like this if i didn't because i would have just not i would have you know even if i had you on i would have cut it off at talking about guitar 
So, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. I think it's, I think it's good. And I like, and, and people who know me real well know I am like a whole poker. Like I'm always waiting for something to fail. And so that kind of always, I, when I listen to interviews that I do, it kind of comes across like that, like a little bit like, well, you know, we'll see how it goes that we tried real hard, but you know, cause I'm not like a salesman, like a fucking car, cheap car salesman. Like, where do you see this puppy? Like, you know, <laughs> it's just fucking cheesy. Like, um, I can find problems in every piece of material I've ever written and done. And, I think that's an honesty that uh, some people don't have that you should, you know? I completely agree. That's that's one of the reasons I don't have musicians on this podcast very often is because they're full of shit um, <laughs> for the most part. You know, when I, when I wrote that, I just knew. <laughs> it's like, no, you <laughs> just starting with start, starting with that line. I just channeled channeled the, those riffs, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, first of all, it's fucking boring, and second is bullshit. And nobody nobody cares, but I think it's uh, I, I think that there's also something to be said for just the fact that like you've still got a lot of musical expression left in you because I don't know I mean if am I mistaken that you wrote a lot of that stuff and played a lot of that stuff too? No, you're definitely mistaken there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I wrote a little bit here and there, but it was me and this. Max Karen, who wrote the entire record together, and I noticed his talents as a guitar tech, and I was like, "Wow!" And then when I figured out I was leaving Devil Driver, I got into a room with him, and we kind of channeled, you know, yeah, not channeled, but uh, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you just kind of knew just, it was the one. Yeah, well, no, we. Just, it took us a long time to like get to where the album ended up, but um, just we had a natural connection in terms of like writing. It was fun together, but also we'd pull each other's hairs out. But then at the end of the day, we're still friends. It wasn't like, I fucking hate this dude. So I was like, it was good. It took, it took like a year and a half of writing to finally start getting where the songs were like, yeah, I think this is it. Um, and he is fucking phenomenal rhythm player. So this was the first time ever where I was like, I remember, I think I said this before in some other interview, but when I first started, I came in writing all the songs. So I came in like with these songs written and, and I just watch him play and be like, fuck it, you play it. Like, you know, there was like no contest, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, Hey, I just think that that's interesting that even, you know, how a lot of guys, if they had been in your shoes for all those years where the guitar gets passed to you and now they're like onto some other project that hasn't proven itself yet, they would have been like, well, you know, in my last band, I play the riffs. So who's got <laughs> the sales here, buddy? <laughs> you know, I fucking can't stand when that shit gets around. Um, but yeah, it's like, dude, I sold, sold some records, man. Fucking let me try. Um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> the fucking, uh, that goes back to what I said earlier. It's like, if you're not the best guy in the room, just give it up. Like, what's the problem? Just make the process easy. But he's, if I was, you know, on a scale of one to 10, if you think I'm a good rhythm player, it's like, I'm like a four, he's a 10. So it was like, it was like beyond no con. And plus he would take my kind of, like take Learn to Live, the first song. I wrote that whole song. But he, he, he maxified it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He made things just a bit more complex. And like that verse, I could... I can't do it now, but I can play the demo I had of me playing it, and then you can hear the record with him doing it. It's night and day. That like how much like he just he's like he's a younger. He understands rhythm much more than I do. Like in terms of being that tight and 
you know, instead of just sitting there beating myself over, I was like, yeah, fuck it, you do it, man. It sounds fucking amazing, you know? He's got that, I guess, that touch, that, like, that younger that younger generation touch with the with those types of gent rhythms that yeah, they just it's, get. It's more, it's more their, yeah, it's their last, they, they grew up. I don't know about you, but, like, no, I I definitely did grow up playing that stuff. I I grew up yeah. playing like riffs, not patterns. Me too. So it just seems like like you said you grew up playing riffs, so did I. Yes. Um and uh riffs not patterns. It seems like Mashuga's yeah, riffs not patterns. It seems like Mashuga just especially with Obzin, like just kinda had the, this rebirth connecting to the fuck like the band became 10 times bigger after Obzin than it ever was and it seems like the youth really can especially with Periphery coming up and then like I think a youth just really recognized Meshuggah as like even though they've been around for 20 years before that like I think defined kind of a generation of writers you know and Max is like in that wheelhouse where like oh yeah these patterns they're nothing to me no problem you know <laughs> I can definitely tell you that there's a divide among players and I've seen it in the studio there are some guys who just get those types of patterns it's in their DNA and it's yeah. like it's just in how they play it's not a big deal and there's some guys to where that kind of stuff is just like it would be like me trying to play funk or something like it just wouldn't work like me playing funk is a disaster and uh, <laughs> a lot of, you know, there's just a certain breed of metal player who, uh, maybe it's not that bad, but like who, um, these types of patterns are just not in their DNA. Um, and for they just don't have it, you know, for, for whatever reason. Yeah. So I have some questions from our audience for you because we had uh, some stoked people that you were coming on. So I'd like to ask you them if you don't mind I love it alright so um, this one is from Luis Jaime Flores and he's saying hello John when I try to write a song I always struggle with the transitions between riffs what advice do you have to get better at this hmm um, I know exactly what he's talking about because I think you as a guitar player everyone sits there how the fuck am I am I going to connect these um uh, well, <laughs> I think in the terms of like, okay, it, I just think in terms of up and down, like, you know, like, am I going to climb in the next part or am I going to um, descend in the next next part? And then if that doesn't really work, then I go to like, uh, then I think about like some sort of jarring move that I could do, which a good example of that, which I was saying about is like, I heard that Pantera always struggled getting into the chorus of I'm broken, you know? Um, and then like in the end it was Rex's idea. What about it? Just like, you know, it's like just a stupid, weird idea that finally connects the dots, you know? So it's like if the ups and downs for me don't work in terms of rhythmically and they come, sometimes you find yourself going to cheesy, like, you know, zero, five, three, six, like move to get somewhere. It's like just stupid. Then I try to go for the jarring thing, but I don't know. That's off the top of my head. Those are the first things that come to mind. So you actually have, it sounds like you actually have like a set of, uh, I guess things that you'll try right away. If you can't think of a transition, like how do you take the intensity well, up just, or take the just, intensity just, down? Yeah. 
Exactly. Like an up and down. It's like, yeah. okay, if you have two riffs, you're trying to connect. Where's one? Where's the other? Would it make sense to try and go up to the one or down to the other? It's just like that common sense kind of like, how would I connect these? And then as I got older, I realized that sometimes that it's like you're making the same choices over and over. And, and sometimes it's a little too predictable and sometimes smooth is not fucking aggressively strangely get into the next part and then everyone go damn you know (laughs) (laughs) yes all right so here's one from bay georgian which is a john while i know creativity is different for everyone i feel like some of the best songs are written from a combination of both great creativity as well as specific process that some musicians have found for themselves and gotten down to a close science do you have a process and if so what's it like Mm. i would disagree with his statement me too that uh there's uh, some the best in the world have it down to a science Uh, no i don't think i think you're just good or you're not and you get lucky or you don't um and my process is uh, usually starts with uh, watching TV on guitar and I'm playing something, not paying attention, and something catches my ear. I go, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I kind of focus. And I turn the TV off and I start from there. And then if I get something, um, all right, well, and I'll work. I only work, I took Billy Joel's advice, which I always thought was very strong. I only work on stuff like five to six to 10 minutes at a time. Uh, I don't sit there and work on something for three hours straight. I just go, okay, cool. Where, where would I naturally go here? But if I don't come up with something, I put it down. I go, go fuck off. And then I, but I remember what I started. So then I'll come back to it. I, and then usually it just ends up working it's a little bit longer than other ones, you know, but there is no science where you go, okay, I got the recipe. Let's do it again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's just make millions. Uh, and <laughs> it's that easy. So I did notice, um, let's, and some of the stuff I think I work the hardest on ends up being everyone's least favorite and whatever. But um, like Clouds Over California was one of Devil Driver's biggest songs. And that was like nothing about that had any science and never was repeated again. Like it was a riff that Mike had that was super slow. I suggested we speed it up. And then from there it took shape and Mike had the harmonic part and then I wrote the intro and it was just like, and we all did it all within one day and it was very easy and fun. And then still, then Des did a great job on top of that. Um, so if that was a recipe, I wouldn't know how to recreate it. You just can't, you get lucky and sometimes you don't. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's one from Jack Hartley, which is, how far do you get with a song or idea before you bring other people in on the creative process? And what are some of the challenges of being such an independent creative force in a full band situation? Um, well, yeah, it depends on what situation I'm in. In Devil Driver, in the end, uh, in most of the time, I, brought, I would bring fully presented full songs. I'd write them all myself and come down and then... Uh, you know, sometimes what you thought was going to work doesn't, and you make changes on the spot. But for the most part, I work stuff out a lot on my own and bring it to the table as completed, and it usually stays that way. Um, however, change to now, I stopped doing that approach as um, working with Max and Bad Wolves. I find that uh, the goal that we're trying to do we don't have like a brand that we we know and we we're following up with 
So I kind of just leave things more open and we kind of flow. It's a little bit more painful working together, trying to make that stuff happen, but I'm leaving it more open, open-minded and cause I'm in no need or want to control a musical situation. Um, so I just kind of go in and, Hey, I throw out ideas like, let's write a song like this faith no more song like there and we just start like that you know what i mean let's just kind of pick up on a vibe and the mood you're in and that worked really well for us on this first record all right um charles ruiz is wondering do you find you need to get in a creative mindset for a specific instrument to complete a song idea or do you have a cascade of ideas that lead into one another as you work on a song like, do you need to get um, into drum mode or guitar mode, or is it all just like, I'm working on this, and now I'm working on this, and now I'm working on this? Well, everything I do uh, on guitar, that is, is is much more of a loosely thing. Uh, drums, yeah, I got to get in drum mode, mainly for simple reasons. I need to drive there to go do it. I need to, like, devote my time into a small room where um, and it's physical, so I have to be in the mood to be up and out and and so then i need to create a routine that's like that like working out it's like once i get in that mode i don't stop so but with writing guitar like because i write all the guitar first and then maybe we'll do program drums or something and then go back and then i fine-tune all the drums so that's like my mode i'm like all right this is drum mode of writing you know uh and when i'm in drum mode that goes hand in hand of being creative and focused so when i come home i do the guitar stuff in terms of working out what I need to and, and in terms of if I'm going to be recording guitar, uh, practice what I need to, you know? Um, but creatively writing guitar is much more loose. Like I said, writing house, writing TV. Um, but in general, the same situation that usually we're going to have to be alone. I don't enjoy writing when there's any, anybody else in the room. I feel you on that. Um, yeah. Okay, dude, I'm going to fuck this name up. Uh, Grizz fuck. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to ask the question, and, uh, you know, I'm sorry, dude, who asked it. Your name is just not within my capabilities, and uh, it's just not. Um, so, hey, John, love drums and sick arrangements on Devil Driver. How do you approach to achieve that arrangement? Do you, like, have overall vision of the song and write it from start to finish, or do you collect different ideas and then glue them into the song? Mm. it's hard to know if he's just talking about the band Devil Driver or self-titled album Devil Driver but in general I think he's just talking in general so I'll shoot for that Uh, uh, no uh, everything you know once the the basic you know you got the tempo of a song so then you basically know if you're going to be living where your snare is living on the one and the three or the two or you know where, where once those kind of decisions are made. The basic format's there, and then I get into a room, and then usually everything is coming off of improv. And the more I play to the song and get into it, like I'm with headphones and I'm playing to guitars and trying, like I get excited, and then that's when like you'll do some sort of pull something out of your ass and okay, cool. So that's the mode I need to get into to like get the special fills going, you know. And that's about it. And then also that magic happens also when you're actually recording too, when you just go for shit, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, when I say go for shit, it's not, this isn't like, it's metal kind of one-on-one. It's not like, all right, I'm going to go off and do a, you know, a five pattern. <laughs> like, just you know, like a jazz, jazz, just see the band follows. So, you know, it's, it's not crazy improv. It's just kind of fun. 
<laughs> so uh, Chad Bill Anderson saying, when you were in Devil Driver, did you ever find yourself wishing you were playing guitar or bass instead of drums? Um, um, I don't think wishing is the right word, but there was times where I just like, uh, man, I could really play guitar in this band, and I just never enjoyed... Uh, you know, when the drums fuck up, everything fucks up. You know, guitar players can fuck up all. And that was, this was like a little bit of jealousy uh, issue you know, with that. Like, um, and uh, yeah, sometimes the pressure of being a drummer is a little high. That's all. But I don't think I sat around and wished, you know. Bass player, though, that's a fun gig. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it definitely does seem like a fun gig. Um <laughs> And fun, but I mean, like, sometimes not that challenging. And also, you know, like, you can really be, like, miss a lot of notes and whatever. And, you know, you're still riding through the show looking good, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, Charlie Monroe is wondering, I recall an interview where you said you thought Pray for Villains was over-edited or something along those lines. If this is the case, I was wondering what constitutes over-editing to you and when would you call it a bad thing in this genre? Um, I think, I don't think I use the word over-edited. I think I just use the word over-polished. Like, um, I think that record to, I think there are like some parts that were like definitely like quantized too, like a little bit too much where it just feels stiff. Like I'm trying to think of an example on that. Um, uh, I think there's a song called um, Pure Sincerity uh, where it's very fast double bass and it, yeah it sounds great but to me I, you know I was like I know I didn't play it that perfect but, you know where it just sounds kind of like it sounds like a typewriter machine just going <laughs> you know what I mean um, <laughs> and and we would have problems you know we, would, we still play that or we still play that song and we uh, we played that song and it sounded fine live too it's just I think we got like a little, if it's not fucking perfect, man, then fix it, you know, um, kind of <laughs> mode and like trying to compete with like the kind of computer game video, you know, fucking metal records that were coming out around that time where I think now feel is coming back a lot more and like not being overproduced. But I think around that time we were just being competitive with what was around us too. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So here's one from Max Morden, which was being a drummer and multi-instrumentalist. How do you approach hearing protection? How do I approach it? Yeah. I protect my hair. protect my hair. <laughs> put stuff in your ears. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, do you have any custom earplugs or in-ears or you always wear hearing protection or you're one of those guys that's like, nah, it'll grow back. <laughs> no, I think I stopped around shit. I can't really remember when I was like, this needs to change. Um, because my monitors were so loud and I didn't wear plus. So, uh, I just went to in-ears and I can't even remember the company I started with and I would break and step on They're expensive as fuck. And I would break and step on them. So then I just, I really don't, I'm not picky. I, I use in-ears because I use my own, uh, the only thing I have in my ears is my own kick um, and a click track. So that's all I need it for. So I just, I 
get whatever I get my hands on. I'll go to Guitar Center, pick up some $200 ones until they, they run out. And then, you know, usually the water from the sweat ends up like uh, searing one out, and then I'll go get another one, you know? All right. And so my my in ears are my uh, pr- my hearing protection as long as I don't play shit too loud. Makes sense. Um, John Gansner is wondering when you hit your creative flow state, how do you go about harnessing your ideas? Is it a gut feeling you go off of, or the reactions and input of your band that keep the flow inspiring? And how does your creative flow state feel to you? Uh, it's definitely a gut feeling. It's not based off my band members. Um, and the same for them. Some, you know, don't have the feeling that they do. So they'll show you something. It's very rare where you're like, are you fucking kidding me? That's basically like the best riff I've ever heard. So if you're looking for that, kind of, <laughs> like, if you're looking for that sort of, uh, you know, you know, Hey, check this out. If you're looking for, God, why can't, why am I fucking flailing on the word? Uh, you know, um, acceptance, then you're probably not going to give what you you might get discouraged, so just get shit as good as you can. If you're looking like for that kind of will. hand job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, but it's, uh, I don't know. That's how it works. And Devil Driver's like, cool, let's check it out, you know. Uh, but, you know, Mike was always the guy recording our stuff, and he was never with, like, anything. It'd take him a lot of times to let things sent in before he's like, dude, you know what? That's really good, you know. <laughs> so I was never looking like, anybody want to suck my dick right now? Because I think this is awesome. Um, but yeah, I always went with my gut feeling myself. And uh, and like I was saying before, um, when I got onto an idea, I would know in my gut, oh, this is worth exploring. And I would mentally get in a mode where it's like, okay, for the next couple of days, that's, that's what I'm working on. I'm going to make it the best I can. All right, and um, I'm I'm just seeing he he wrote some more stuff, but I feel like we already covered it. So uh, Giovanni Angel's wondering, what kind of coffee do you drink to stay so productive? Wow, I do not drink coffee. That's the answer. Yeah, um, sometimes I get in and out of uh, teas, but not not too much. Uh, I can't drink coffee. I get I get way too. Coffee to me is there's no difference between doing that and cocaine. Like I get super amped up and I don't like I can't like be myself. I, I feel like I'm high, so I can't really do it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right, I think well that concludes the the questions I'm gonna ask because everything else we kind of already covered. Um, dude, thank you for coming on and talking to us and nice talking to you again and. Congrats with the new band for real. Like it actually is really awesome. Yeah, just, thank you very much. It was great to talk to you too. Yeah. My pleasure to fucking be on here and help spread the word of the new band too. And uh, thanks for like making I know that isn't the point of this podcast, so it was nice to get a little bit of words on that. That was great. Thank you. Well we'll definitely I mean, it's a it's a production podcast, but still like uh if they want to hear a cool mix they should go listen to the single by Bad Wolves. And we're going to actually uh, embed the music video in the show notes for this episode. Okay. So anyone who wants to hear what it is that we've even been talking about with John's new band, just go to the page for this episode and you can check it out. Yeah, and his production, you know, that was uh, that was mixed and recorded uh, by Mark Lewis, so everyone can know that. There you go. There you go. Great. All righty. Um, I will uh, 
thank you for having me on. And uh, I don't know who says goodbye first, so let's do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> goodbye first. <laughs> All right, man. Okay. Take it easy. Right, thank you. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Two Notes Audio Engineering. Two Notes is a leader in the market for Loadbox, Cabinet, and Mic Simulators. Gone are the days of having ISO rooms or having to record an amp at ear-bleeding volumes to capture that magic tone. The Torpedo Live, Reload, and Studio allow you to crank your amp up as loud as you want, but record silently. Check out www.2-notes.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit nailthemix.com slash podcast and subscribe today.